welcome in from wherever it is that you may be joining us to the MCC online Facebook live church service stream. So I want to start out this week very similar to the way we did last week if you were with us and just kind of go over some ground rules for how to attend a Facebook live worship service. Uh, first thing is, is really there's only four things. And the things that you need to do in order to make this successful for you and for us and to make this an experience where we can allow the gospel to go further faster is four things. Like, comment, share, and prayer. So, so like the post, comment on it. That's where you can talk about where you're logging in from, um, you know, what's, what's going on in your life today. Um, and then share the post. Share it out. That's essentially your way of sharing the gospel. And then the last thing is prayer. And one of the things that we love seeing happen in both uh, the last two weeks where we've been doing this is just the prayer requests that have filled uh, the, the feed as we've gone live. And so I, I encourage you, continue to do that, continue to share that word out so that God's gospel can go out into a world that desperately needs it right now. And, and, and hear me on this, like I'm not telling you to share that out because I want my bald head on a bunch of people's news feeds. Honestly, that's kind of terrifying to me. I'm inviting you to share this out because I really do believe that the hope and the message that we're gonna dive into today is something our world desperately needs. It's something that's been in the works for a while, and, and I just am not, not the type of guy who believes that our God is just a God of coincidence. I believe he's a God of providence, and I believe that he has providentially placed this word in front of me to place in front of you. The reality is for us, we've been planning this, we, we planned this breakout series way back in January. It's something that God laid on my heart to be able to take us through the book of 1 Peter and talk about breaking out of some of the things that hold us back from being the people God has called us to be. And so we were leaning into this and planning on this before corona became a worldwide pandemic, before you became a homeschool teacher and a lunch lady, before you had to really consider whether or not it was okay to use more than five or six sheets of toilet paper. Way back then is when this was going on and when this was planned. And so what I want you to do here is to understand that today what we're leaning into is heavy, because what we're leaning today as we culminate this breakout series is we're going to be talking about breaking out of anxiety. And again, this is where we were going anyway. And I believe that God has appointed this message for such a time as this to meet you right where you're at, to bring you hope in the midst of the anxiety that I am sure you are feeling. And before we get ready to dive into a tough, touchy to topic like anxiety, I, I want to confess something to you guys. The thing that I want to confess is I am just a guy. I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a, a counselor, I am not a pharmacist, I am not a, a sociological uh, you know, professor, I'm just a guy. And so I confess that I am probably not the guy in regards to your anxiety to be able to prescribe something for the mental effects of that, the social effects of that, and the physical effects of that. But what I do feel confident in, and I don't feel confident because of my own abilities, I feel confident because of the authority of God's word and, and what its truths are, I feel confident that today I can speak into the spiritual side of the anxiety that you're feeling. And I can offer a prescription, not from my own thought, not from my own words, but from God's word that I believe can bring healing to the anxiety that you are facing right now. Because at the end of the day, in regards to anxiety, I know wherever it is that you are at and you're listening to this, we're all over the spectrum. There are some people even today who are like going on business as usual, just like I'm going to Home Depot, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and they're just living life. And then there are other of us who are hanging by a thread. 
And it's hard for us to take deep breaths. It's hard for us to get out of bed in the morning. We, we are so worried. We're, we're biting our fingernails all the way down. And we are feeling like we're hanging by a thread. And for those of you today who that's you, I, I know you didn't click on this video today to hear just some guy talk. I, I believe you clicked on this video because you were looking for hope, not from me, but from God. You're looking for hope and peace from Jesus. And I believe that he wants to give that to you today. But before we go there, I think it's wise for us to petition and turn our hearts and position them towards him. And so I'm going to ask you to do something that may feel a little weird, may feel a little uncomfortable, but you're in the privacy most likely of your own home right now, and so it shouldn't. I'm going to ask you to pray a, a very simple prayer. And as I ask you to pray this prayer, I'm going to actually ask you to do this because this is a prayer of surrendering. This is a prayer of positioning. I'm going to actually ask you wherever you're at, if you would join me in praying this prayer from a position of surrender and going to our knees and going to God and asking him this simple prayer. If you would, I invite you me, I'd invite you wherever you're at just to join me and pray this simple prayer. Jesus, position my mind and my heart to hear from you. Father, as you, you look down from heaven, you see us here in our rooms, in living rooms, in kitchens, all scattered throughout, God. You, you see us here. And I pray that, that you see the posture of your people and you see our hearts, God, and you, and you see us inclining ourselves, laying down everything that we think we could bring to the table and begging you, Jesus, to bring peace into the presence that we are in right now. To allow anxiety to fade, to meet us where we're at, and to be peace in the midst of a time where so many are afraid. In Jesus' name, amen. See, I, I ask you to pray a prayer like that because one of the things you may have realized throughout the season is it's really hard to hear when we are afraid. Fear is one of the things that just makes it harder to hear. But faith, guys, is the opposite of fear. And so the Bible talks about fear in this, and it says that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but we've been given a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. The problem is, is in the midst of fear, it's really ha hard to have a mind that's actually hearing from Jesus, because all we hear is the echo of our fears. And because of that, I, I want you to understand that we as a church, in the midst of everything that's going on and kind of the chaos that is ensuing with all of this coronavirus and all the things of the big what ifs and all this, I want you to know something about us as a church. We are not on pause. This is not a time for the church to go, hey, we're just gonna pause. We're just gonna kind of do a circle pattern and kind of wait on things to level out. We are not on pause. We are still on mission. There are still needs to be met. There are still disciples to be made. There are still things that we can do to be able to meet needs of those people around us. Now again, how we meet those needs, that may change. But just because we feel like we can't gather together, it doesn't mean that we stop being the church. Because here's the deal, I, I, I saw this this week and I, and I wrote it down. See, if the devil has won a victory, 
he can get us to fear death more than we fear God. See, the devil has won a victory if he can get us to fear death more than we fear God. And my prayer in all of this is that we would never be a people who fear what could happen to us, who fear losing our lives, who fear getting sick more than we actually fear who God is. And that we would continue to be a people who are following after him. And my hope is that, man, we would not be a church that says, hey, we're just going to chalk this one up and we're going to kind of send it in and we're going to hibernate until all this is over. Because here's the, here's the deal. There's going to come a time when this is history. And you're going to look back on history of what was the coronavirus pandemic. And my prayer is that when we look back on the history of well, what it was to be the people of MCC, and when you look back at your own personal history going through this, you're not looked at, looked at as a conscientious objector. That you're looked at as someone who actually put on the armor and went to battle. And again, our armor is going to look a lot different. Than, than, than modern warfare, our armor is going to look like things like um, face masks and you know, gloves. And our armor is going to look like things like Zoom calls and text messages and, and, and a lot of hand sanitizer and giving away food. That's what our armor is going to look like during the season. But my prayer is that we continue to put that on. Because this, guys, this is not a time for the church to shrink back. This is a time for the church to continue to rise up and be who God has called us to be. And if that's going to happen... We are going to have to break out of the anxiety that I believe is currently holding us back. And that's why we're going to dive into this today. If you have a Bible, I'd ask you to go ahead and turn to the book of 1 Peter. Go all the way to the end of that chapter and go to 5. Just kind of put a finger in there. What I want to do today is I want to try to illustrate something to you. I want to try to illustrate anxiety in a way, a way that I've seen a, a few different pastors do before. Uh, I've seen it kind of illustrated a couple of different ways. I'm going to put a little bit different of my own spin on it here today that I hope can speak to you where you're at in the midst of this anxiety. We hear anxiety talked about in a bunch of different ways. Uh, we hear it talked about as like this weight that's on my chest. You know, people talk about I, I, when I had that panic attack, I had trouble breathing. I felt like I couldn't take a deep breath. Other people, you know, they'll say, like, I felt like an elephant was sitting on my chest, and they talk about this weight. Here even people talk about it. it, felt like I was drowning in the midst of it, or there's just something on my back weighing it down. One of the common things when people describe anxiety is there's weight. And so I wanted to illustrate it like this. It's something we carry around. And see, for all of us, we have what I will call today uh, kind of an anxiety backpack. And, and your anxiety and the things that make you anxious are different than the things that make me anxious. Everybody's different, and everybody's kind of on this different spectrum. And some people, your backpack's light. I mean, you don't even need a backpack. You just got a fanny pack, and you're just crushing it with that. Some of you, all you need is a man purse. Uh, we'll do a different sermon series on, on that. Uh, but, but most of us, we have something that we're carrying that's causing us anxiety and fear. And I want to unpack some of the things that we most likely all have in common. One of the things that, that I'm sure right now we have in common that is causing us anxiety is this thing called the coronavirus, COVID-19. And for a lot of us, this is, this is the be-all, end-all of our anxiety right now. Like everything that we're anxious about really revolves around and, and goes with what is happening with this. And so many of us, this is kind of what we wake up thinking about and it's what we go to bed thinking about. Will we have enough? Will I be able to keep my job? Will I be able to do the things for my family that I need to do? Will like, I mean, do we have enough you know, stocked up in the pantry? Do we need to go buy a deep freezer? There's so much anxiety surrounding this right now. And we're all feeling it. 
And what's crazy is this, what's leveled the playing field? Along with that, there's some things that, you know, this came in, and we already had a lot of things going on in our life, and this wasn't the only one, so we have that happening. Along with that, we, we already were anxious about our health. There's so many of you out there who had health struggles, and you were going through things already, and we get anxious about, man, am I healthy enough to be able to make it through something like this? But even before this, we were going, man, is my blood pressure right? Do I need to go get this checkup? Do I need to fix these things? And so we have a lot of anxiety around our health. Along with that, a lot of you guys may be facing this. It's something that, that I haven't came to in my life yet. But we have a lot of anxiety around family. And in particular, we get a lot of, fam, uh, of anxiety around what to do with an aging parent. And that's one of the other things that this whole coronavirus is, is created is anybody who has a, a family member who's in an assisted living care, you're not able to go and check on them. You're not able to care for them. Or you're having to do it through a cracked window. So we have a lot of anxiety around, what am I going to do? How do I transition from being child to now kind of almost feeling like a parent and a caretaker? And so we have a lot of anxiety around this. Along with that, we have this device that, that we keep in our pocket. And, and it buzzes uh, almost every minute to let us know new things to be anxiety about. And it creates new apps for us to put on to get anxious about. And we carry this around. And if you have kids who have one of these, you're anxious that they have one of these. And you're going, what are they looking at? What are they staring at? You know, who's, who's, trying to get in, who's trying to connect with them? And all these other types of things. This causes a lot of our anxiety. Along with that, if you're a parent, we have a lot of anxiety, not around dinosaurs, but around our kids. And so our kids cause us a lot of this anxiety because we wonder, man, are they growing up to be who they were created to be? Am I going to be able to provide for them? Am I going to be able to protect them? So we have a lot of anxiety surrounding our, our children. And then there's school. And some of you, like this has been a whole new thing of anxiety because you've had to figure out, again, how to be school at home. And for some of you, you're watching this and you're a student. And you're wondering, man, what's going to happen from here? Like, am I going to be able to measure up? Am I going to be able to graduate? Like, is my degree kind of going to be like not as legit if I did it and it was a corona degree? I hope, I hope not for you. But here's the deal. We all have anxiety around how much or how far we think we are to measuring up to what other people think we're going to be, whether it's through school or whether it's just through life in general. We wonder, are we measuring up? And that causes a lot of anxiety. Along with that, this is one of the big ones, is we have anxiety around our money. Honestly, this is probably what we're really worrying about the most. I mean, you know, we talked about coronavirus, but I may be asking you the question, are you really worried about coronavirus? Are you really more worried about what coronavirus does to your money? See, here's the deal. This thing, this, this plastic piece that's in here, I don't carry any cash with me hardly, but this plastic piece in here, it's really easy to let our lives revolve around that. And so it causes anxiety when we think something is gonna threaten whether or not we can use this the way we wanna keep using this. Along with that, this little thing right here causes us a lot of anxiety as well. And we get overwhelmed with, with, with time. And a lot of us right now, like the thing is, is we're going like, hey, is time running out? Like, is this the end time? What, what's going on? What's happening right now? And even before all this tired happened, we were stressed to the max. We had no margin in our schedules and we were doing something different with our kids every single night. We had people over, we had this, or we were working late. And time and the lack of it causes us a lot of anxiety. 
along with that, toilet paper. <laughs> toilet paper causes a lot of anxiety right now. We're like, hey man, am I going to be able to actually like do what this needs to do? And so on top of all this, we have some serious, some not as quite serious, but here's the deal. We say, okay, here's my life and, and all these things that I'm worried about. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about coronavirus, obviously. I'm worried about what to do with my family and how to protect them. I'm worried about time because there's never enough of that. I'm worried about money. There's just never enough of that either. I'm worried about measuring up. I'm worried about school and whether or not I'm going to be able to measure up so I can make enough money and have enough time to do what I want to do. And I'm worried about my health. And on top of all that, I have this thing that keeps reminding me of all the things I need to worry about. And we put all this together. And most all of us, we agree that if we're going to live in this country and we're going to do what we're going to do, all of us are going to have to have some level of anxiety. And it's just going to have to be something we carry. And so for most everybody, this is just kind of what becomes life. And we put this pack on and we go, hey, you know, you've got yours, I've got mine, and we all kind of pretend like we're just okay. And we walk around, the reality is, more often than not, this just becomes a part of who we are. And I want to show you some of the truths that I've found in actually being able to help manage this anxiety. Because we get all this on, and we have all this anxiety, and now more than ever, it's, it's turned all the way up. And at times, we, we find ourselves going, well, okay, now what do we do with it? Like, if this is the weight we have, if this is the pressure we feel, well, then what next? If you're like me, you've probably had people at times in your life when you tell them the things you're anxious about or you tell them the things you're worried about, they go, well, like, bro, just, just stop worrying about it. Or you tell them how the crazy things are, and, and, and they tell you, well, look, have you prayed about it? And you go, yeah. And they go, well, we'll just stop praying about it. And I'm, I'm just not convinced that the answer is just, just, just stop worrying about it. You know, you have somebody tell you that, and you just want to punch them in the jujinum because that doesn't solve anything. And it's hard to just stop. But I think there's actually a, a better solution than just stop worrying. And I want to show you that solution. If you've got a Bible, you can go to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. We're going to start in the last half of verse 5. Peter's writing to this church who was under persecution. They were fearing for their life. They, they weren't afraid of a virus killing them. They were afraid of people killing them for their faith. And so they were wondering, how, how, how public do we go? How, how, how do we live our lives in the midst of this fear, and, and this is what Peter comes to him and he tells him. He starts out and he says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. I, I want to unpack this with you, no pun intended, uh, and dive in right there into that last part of, of verse 5. If you've got a Bible, you can go there. Let's, let's, let's see what Peter is after and what he's trying to communicate to these people who are feeling the weight of anxiety like you and I are. He starts out in verse 5, last half. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. He starts out and he says, clothe yourself with humility. 
And how many of you know, like, before you had clothes on, what were you? Naked. You you had nothing on. And so Peter is implying here that humility is something that you don't just have naturally. It's something you have to put put on. And what's fascinating about this is Peter saw a real-life, in-living-color representation of what this actually looked like. See, here's the deal. Peter was in this room with Jesus the night that he was to be betrayed. And he saw Jesus actually take humility in the form of a towel and wrap it around his waist, cinch it down, and then get down on his hands and knees and humility wash the feet of those around him. See, Peter was telling them that humility is something that I saw your Savior Jesus put on him and he washed our feet. And so if we are going to be a church that makes us through this, we have to put on that humility as well. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another. He goes on from there and he says, God opposes the proud. And what he means, and kind of how this Greek word is translated in opposes, is as if God literally is lining up on the other side of those who are proud. And so if the prideful people are on, uh, on the offensive line, then, then God is saying, I am lining up on the other side of the ball, and I'm opposing you. Man, I don't know about you, but that's not a side of God I want to be on. I don't want to be on the side of pride. But he goes from there, and he says, he shows favor to the humble. If you're wondering what in the world God's favor is, favor is simply this. Favor is when someone does something for you that you could not do for yourself. And I don't know about you, but that's the side of God I want to be on. I wanted to do things in my family that I could not do myself. I want to do things in your life that you could not do yourself. I wanted him to do things in our city and in our churches that we could not do on ourselves. I want his favor. And he says that the path to that is humility. Now, I think we can kind of grasp the difference between pride and humility, and we all can kind of tell when somebody else is prideful and when somebody else is humble. But I want to tell you what it looks like when pride and humility come to the forefront of our lives, and it usually starts with a voice in our head. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The voice in our head of pride, pride says, I can control this. I can control this. And see, Peter, in this moment, he's giving them the secret about anxiety. See, a lot of times we think that anxiety is really kind of the root of our problems. And like, it would all just feel better if we were worried about it less. But what Peter is saying here is that anxiety is not the root. He's saying anxiety is actually the fruit. Pride is the root. Your pride is what leads to the anxiety. They come in the same package. So he's trying to help them explain this. And and the reality is, guys, and, and maybe you've experienced this, there's a lot of pride around anxiety. And not in the sense like, hey, I'm more proud of my anxiety and I've got a better form of anxiety and a meaner form of anxiety and a worse anxiety than you. There's not that kind of pride around anxiety. But the pride that comes with anxiety is when we feel like the only way this problem will be solved is if we are the one who solve it. And I have to take care of and control everything about this. I have to figure out where my aging parents are going to go. I have to figure out a a new job and a second job if I lose this job. And I have to figure out um, all the things in my 401k to make sure that like we actually have a retirement now. And I have to make sure I can control every germ that would ever enter my home. And so control and pride go hand in hand. And see where pride says I can control this, there's a different side of it. There's another side that says the humble words. And see, where pride says, I can control this, humility comes in and it says, I can't control this. I can't control this. Humility looks at, at the situation and goes, I can't control 
the coronavirus. I, I can't control what happens here. I can't control my kids. I can't control the economy. I can't control whether or not somebody likes me. I can barely even control myself. See, humility goes, I can't control this. And the problem is, is when we live under that sense of control, and we think it, all of these things are mine to control, mine to fix, whether or not they will fall into pieces or whether they will maintain themselves is up to me. And when we live in that pride, the anxiety that we feel, it now becomes something that is cinched in. And it just becomes almost a part of us because we are the ones who own it. And we buckle it up and we say, let's go. But here's the deal. When we actually admit that we are not capable of controlling everything, what we're doing there is we're actually letting go of the illusion of control that we have. And so many of us, we become addicted to that illusion of control. And here's the deal. We got, guys, we, we can't control this coronavirus thing. Like we can wash our hands and keep our butts inside to contain it, but we cannot control it. And, and so... In regards to all the fear that's surrounding it, my hope and my prayer is that you understand what you can control and what you can't control. And that the things that you can, you continue to care about. But the things that you can't, you release that control back to God. So when Peter says, if, if you've got a Bible, you can go now to verse 6. He, he helps them understand how God feels about the prideful and how God feels about the humble. And how pride and humility are connected to anxiety and worry. And then he says this in verse 6. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. If you've ever read the, the story of the nation of Israel, when they're, they're being led out, and the Red Sea parts, and, and Moses does that. One of the things that is, is completely uh, overstated in that, and, and it's a thematic thing that happens over and over again. It talks about that they were led out by the mighty hand of God. By a mighty hand and outstretched arm, God delivered these people. And so Peter is actually referencing back here. He's saying, you have the mighty hand of God on your side. And if you will humble yourselves, that mighty hand will be what will lift you up. That's the reason we started out today praying on our knees. Because it's a posture of humility. It's a posture that says to God, please God, I'm not trying to puff myself up. I am coming to you in dire need of you lifting me up. But that's not the only reason why I think Peter put these words in here like he did. When he talked about a mighty hand, you've got to understand that this was another one of those things that Peter had experienced firsthand. Peter was the guy, if you remember the story right, he's the guy who got out of the boat and tried to walk to Jesus on water, kind of in the midst of a storm. And then in the midst of him doing something miraculous that God had called him, Jesus had called him out to, Peter starts to look at kind of what's going on. And he sees this and he begins to be fearful. And if fear counteracts his faith, and he begins to sink. And if you remember the story correctly, you, you, can, you can hear G, Jesus kind of seeing this all happen. And at the same time, Peter screams out as he's going underwater, just as the water is getting ready to hit his lips. He, say, he cries out and he shoots up his hand. And he says, Lord, save me. And he reaches out his hand. And Jesus, with his mighty hand, the hand of God touches Peter's hand. And so Peter was a guy who had a first-hand experience of what it was like to be lifted up by the hand of God out of a situation where you may feel like you are drowning. And that's why he says this to them. 
But he says this, and he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. And then he comes to this part that we don't really like, that we really struggle with. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up, and we're all good for there. But then he says, In due time. And we all go, Oh, I knew there was a catch. In due time. See, we, we, we struggle with in due time. Uh, one of my favorite pastors to listen to, Levi Lesko, he says, you know, in due time is a really hard concept for us because we're the same people who burn our mouths on Hot Pockets. And the reality is we struggle with this idea of in due time. But what he's getting at here is, yes, it's okay to feel weighed down. Yes, it's okay to feel that pressure. But what he's trying to communicate to us is that if we will humble ourselves, and take a posture of humility, that is what allows that weight, that anxiety that has been placed on us to actually get to a place where we can take it off. Now, most of us have done this, where we take the anxiety off, okay? And so we take it off, we kind of let it sit there. And so we go, okay, God, you are God, I am not. I'm humbling myself before you and I'm laying down all my anxiety to you. It's right there. You can have it. And then do you know how we wait on God's in due time? Like this. Come on. Fix it. Make it work out. Make them notice me. And what happens is we, we said, God, I humble your God, I'm not. And then what we do is now we go, God, I'm giving you this. When are you going to solve it? Now I'm anxious about whether or not God is going to solve the things that I was anxious about. And it becomes this never-ending cycle. And maybe you felt that. Maybe you felt that a lot recently. And I used to think, that in regards to our own personal anxiety, that, that our mistake was we would just sit here and we would kind of look at it and we would stare at it and we would go, God, when are you going to work it? And we would just sit there and kind of twiddle our thumbs, anxious, nervously, patting, patting our feet, just going, God, when are you going to fix this? But here's what I've learned. As I've looked at my own life, I don't so much have a problem of casting my anxiety. I actually have a problem in aiming where I cast it out. Because here's the deal, and maybe you've experienced this in your own life. I can take my anxiety, and I can cast it out, and I can hit my wife with it without even really looking. Some of you, you even maybe this week, you have cast out some anxiety grenades onto your kids. Some of you, maybe it's in a boardroom or the frustration around trying to use all this new technology, and you're casting the anxiety on everybody around you, and you're going, dadgummit, Karen, why can't you figure out how to get onto Wi-Fi? See, we, we get full of this anxiety. Some of you men who may be listening to this, you've tried to cast anxiety in the form of a fist through drywall before. But here's the deal. Anytime we try to cast our anxiety on other people, the reality is they cannot carry it. Most of them are already carrying their own anxiety, so why do you think that they would be able to carry your anxiety that you're casting onto them? The problem with us casting our anxiety in a place that's not meant to carry it is when we cast it in the wrong places, what actually happens is it comes back heavier. And you felt this. You felt this hopelessness when you tried to give something to God and nothing happened. And now you feel locked in by it. And it feels hopeless here. 
But I want you to see that this verse doesn't end here. He goes on and he gets into to the next part. And he gets into verse 7. And he starts to give us this place where we could finally find some hope. In verse 7, he says, Cast all your anxiety on him. And when he says him, he's talking about God. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about giving that over to the Holy Spirit and letting him deal with it. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And when he talks about casting it on him, what he's literally talking about is this idea of transferring it on to his shoulders. And so I ask you the question, what if maybe the weight that you're feeling right now is because you are currently carrying something that you were never meant to carry? See, all of us right now, we're on the same page, anxiously waiting, wondering what's going to happen with this whole coronavirus thing. It's overwhelming for most of us right now. And we're trying to control it. We're trying to control everything that's going on. And and the reality is, man, if nothing else, I, I have been reminded how little I am in control of the things that happen in my life as I have gone through this experience. It's frustrating. But here's the deal. I still believe God needs us as a church to actually care. Here's the deal, guys. It's right to care. But it is wrong to try to carry all the weight and the responsibilities of the outcomes of what this may mean. And so he invites us. He says, humble yourself under my hand. Let me lift you up. Cast your anxiety on me. And I, and I, and I sense even on this other side that you're on right now. You hear this and you kind of go, yeah, I hear you. Um, but kind of like you talked about at the beginning, this idea of uh, just stop worrying I kind of feel like that's kind of what you're saying again. And, and it's kind of like, like, I'm going to cast my anxiety on him because he cares. Like, that's, that's kind of a weak answer to this problem that I feel like I have right now. And is there something, is there something that, that Jesus has done that would let me know that really he does care about me? Is there something that he's done that would prove to me once and for all that he actually does care? Because, like, I don't know about you guys, but, but it, man, we, sometimes we look around and we look at what's going on right now. And it's like, God, are you aware? Like, the whole world is suffering through this. God, are you aware and do you care? And if you do, is there anything that we could lean on and trust in that would show us that you care? Is there anything that you've ever done that would prove to us once and for all that you are actually a God who is aware and you are actually a God who is aware. Is there anything that would prove to us that you care about what we're going through and about what we're carrying? See, this thing was a a tool used by the Roman government to torture and kill an innocent man named Jesus Christ. And they tortured and killed this man named Jesus Christ so that you could find a way into the family and the favor of Almighty God. And so what I want you to understand, what I want you to know in this, is this cross, this cross is now what echoes through eternity, what echoes through history to prove to us that we Don't have a God in Jesus who just says, I care about you. We have a God in Jesus who shows that he cares about us. And the thing about this cross is, and this is the game changer, this is where everything begins to shift and change. See, the cross 
proves that he is eager to carry our anxiety. But because why would he not be? Why would God send his one and only begotten perfect son to earth, let him die a sinner's death on this cross to pay for your sins on your behalf, to to seriously take all the sin to its uttermost, and then not be eager for you to accept that and to turn over whatever you may be feeling right now and give that to him. So what the cross does is it, it proves once and for all that not only is he aware of my anxiety, but he is eager to carry it. When I was writing down my notes, at first I wrote down, the cross proves that he is able to carry our anxiety. And it didn't fit. And then I marked that out. And then I wrote, the cross proves that he is willing to carry our anxiety. But how many of you who are parents know this one thing to have a kid who is able and willing to do chores at the house than it is to have a kid who is eager to do chores at the house. And I want you to know that that is the attitude that Jesus approaches our anxiety and he says, I am eager to take it. And I'm inviting you to give it to me. But he doesn't stop there. And our faith, our faith, guys, our faith doesn't stop at the cross. Our faith went three days after this and went to an empty tomb. And see, where the cross proves to us that Jesus is eager to carry our anxiety, the empty grave proves to us that he is able to carry our anxiety. Because play your anxiety out. We see this happen in society. When you go through anxiety, most of the people who struggle on an incredibly serious way, they get to a place where the anxiety oftentimes nosedives into a place of hopelessness and depression. And after a while, when you go through enough time of being hopeless, it makes sense to end it. Because there's no reason to live anymore. And so, what I need you to understand about your enemy, what I need you to understand about Satan, is that's what he would love your anxiety to lead to. He's playing the long game of your anxiety. And he wants you to be so fearful that you miss out on who God really is and what the cross and the empty grave actually mean. And when he rose from the grave, he showed and he proved once and for all that I have not just conquered anxiety, I've conquered the death that anxiety, if it went to its fruition, it would lead to. And this is where we stand on the other side of this. And I love how Peter culminates and he ends um, this whole book really as he's walking through and he's trying to encourage this church. Verses eight and nine, he says this, He says, be sober-minded and watchful. And if you're tracking along with this book, that's the third time that he's leaned into these people he's trying to encourage. He says, be sober-minded and watchful. Because here's the deal. Peter understood what it was like to sleep on Jesus. Peter, the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he hit the snooze button on Jesus three times. Jesus said, stay awake and pray. And he came back to check on him and check on him and check on him. And every time he was asleep, and see, Peter is trying to help us learn from his mistakes. He's trying to help us understand that he learned something the hard way that he wants to teach us. And what he wants to teach us is that the devil's primary method of destruction is deception. If he can get you to think it's way worse than it is, if he can get you to believe the lie that if it's the only way it's going to get handled is if you handle it, that the only way it's going to be good is if you control every aspect of it 
well, then he can bring destruction because he's letting you still live in pride and opposed to the will and the favor of a loving heavenly father who is both eager and able to carry every bit of anxiety that you have right now. So my hope, my prayer, friends, is that you would not forget what it costs Jesus to be able to carry your anxiety. And that now in these moments, you would be willing to turn it over to him, to give your anxiety to him. Will you continue to try to carry your anxiety? Will you continue to try to carry those fears? Are you willing to humble yourself, casting your fears and your anxiety onto him who cares for you and has proven it, proven it, and will continue to do whatever he has prove it again and again to you wherever you're at. I invite you now, as I go and get ready to prepare the elements for us to be able to remember this cross that Jesus went to eagerly with the joy set before him to endure. As we get ready to go into communion, I pray that that that's what you remember maybe today more than ever. That faith is the opposite of fear. And he's calling you into a place of faith to him. And he's calling you directly back to the blazing center of our faith, which is the cross. See, we don't have a faith that revolves around something that Jesus said. We have a faith that revolves around and is centered on something Jesus actually did. He gave his life for you. So that you wouldn't have to live in a life of fear. If you would, you can grab what you have. Peter was one of the men who was there on the night where Jesus took a meal that up until that point had meant one thing and changed it forever. When he said, holding up the bread, this bread that I'm getting ready to pass out to you guys is actually the bread that is my body that's going to be broken for you. And he, and he showed him the brokenness that he was getting ready to experience. And in the same way, he said, this wine, it represents my blood that I'm getting ready to shed for you. Though I am innocent, I'm getting ready to be treated as the most guilty and vile sinner ever. I'm getting ready to take all the sin of the world on me. And I'm going to do it for you. And that blood that's poured out is going to be the blood of a new covenant, a new promise that I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And then he promised, he said, I will not drink the fruit of this vine again until I drink it anew with you in heaven. See, he knew the persecution. He knew the pain that these guys were going to face. And so he painted a picture of what the promise was going to look like. That there was going to come a day Regardless of what we may encounter in this life, what pain, what persecution, what fear, what virus, whatever may come, Jesus promised there's a day that's coming when I'm going to make all things new. All the sin, all the destruction, all the death, all the disease, all that is going to be over. And based off what you did in regards to your faith 
and the empty cross, or the, 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 the empty grave and my blood on the cross, it's going to determine whether or not you're a part of this family. So he said, this blood is, is for you. And now, church, wherever you're at, wherever you're watching this, I invite you to taste and see that the Lord is good. Of his body is broken for you. his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of you and all mankind oh Jesus we thank you for the cross we thank you for your love and your life that you gave fully on display for those of us who while we were yet sinners enemies opposed to you because of our pride you gave your life for us you welcomed us into this family and you gave us a promise that because of the spirit that you were putting in us that we would not have to live in fear Father, I pray that your people would begin to live even in a time where it's very easy to be intoxicated by insecurities, that we would live sober-minded lives, that we would be on mission, that we would be willing and eager to carry the things that you carried, the burdens of others, that we would cast ours to you and then go look for ways to be just like you, to carry theirs, to meet their needs, and to be your church until your kingdom fully comes here on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. I thank you guys for being with us again as we're uh, the scattered church. I invite you, uh, there's going to be a slide here if you'd like to continue to participate in worship uh, through giving. Uh, there's a link on there to be able to give online. For those of you who, who gave last week, um, I was blown away by your generosity. Um, we had more online giving last week in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of a pandemic, than we have had in any time since I've been a part of MCC. And so I, I see the faith of God's people moving. I see the obedience, I see the trust, and I, and I praise you, I admonish you for what you're doing, and I ask that you continue, because here's the deal, I want us to be in the position where we can best serve our community, and your faithful generosity is doing that, our, God's going to take care of us, I am fully confident in that, but I want him to, to use us, and to see our willingness and readiness to be able to surrender what we have to give to this mission that he's called us on. As for those of you who give, those of you who are generous, thank you for the way you do that. The kingdom of God is coming close because of your trust. I love you, church. I can't wait to be back with you.